This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. And the best person to get an answer like that from would be Jesus. At Line Upon Line, we answer your Bible questions. Thanks for submitting them. In addition to that answer, open the book of Revelation. God wants you to be ready for the second coming of Jesus. And He wants you to have assurance about being ready for the second coming of Jesus. This is Line Upon Line, brought to you by It Is Written. I'm John Bradshaw. With me, Pastor Eric Flickinger. Eric, thanks for joining me. Great to be back again. Line Upon Line is where we answer your Bible questions. We appreciate receiving them, and this gives us an opportunity to present you with a Bible answer for your Bible questions. Eric, where do we begin today? Today, our first question is from Faye, and Faye wants to know the answer to this question. If family members are living in sin outside of marriage, isn't it wrong to appear to others that we give our approval of this sin? For example, in liking their posts, clearly showing that act of sin. Shouldn't we instead be telling them that this is wrong? Faye, you ask a good question. Let's try to give a balanced answer. Nobody wants anybody to approve of sin. That is, from a Christian perspective, you don't want to high-five somebody because they just did something that's really distasteful in the eyes of God and celebrate that. However, you can still celebrate people as people, celebrate them for who they are. When somebody enters into a situation in their life that isn't pleasing to God, that person is still your family member, or perhaps, we would hope, still your friend. So let's say, for example, someone's living in sin, and they post a picture of them getting about their life, having some happy family activity. Well, you're going to look like the Grinch who stole Christmas if you can't celebrate their child's fifth birthday with them, if you can't rejoice that one of them got a promotion or that they enjoyed the holiday in Destin, Florida, or wherever it might have been. Um, should we not be showing them that we disapprove of this sin? You probably have. If you are known as a believer and these individuals entered into something or took on a practice that fell outside the bounds of the Bible, they likely know already, without you hectoring, haranguing, or otherwise lecturing them, that what they're doing doesn't meet with your approval. Now, how long do you let that go on? Um, you can't continue to put a thumbs down emoji on every Facebook post they post or refuse to comment uh, simply because you don't like the way they're living their lives. It might be something about your life they don't approve of, but they still continue to love and show deference to you. So. It isn't a violation or a denial of your relationship with God to be friendly towards and to show courtesy or love towards somebody who doesn't meet entirely with your approval or is doing something that, you know, any Christian might say isn't the way God would have them live their lives. But there's really a case to be made, I think frankly it's the only case to be made, for moving beyond judgmentalism to grace and acceptance. Aren't you glad that when you mess up, Jesus still likes your posts and still retweets your tweets and still gives a thumbs up when you look in his direction? Uh, love doesn't wax and wane simply because somebody is living outside our approval. Love is constant and it's by showing that love and that friendship and that approval for the things your conscience allows you to approve that you keep communication happening that you continue to demonstrate love and that you show that person that perhaps what you possess in Jesus is worth them possessing also. All right, that's a good question. I appreciate it very much. Here's another one, and this is from Angela. Who are the 144,000? 
Okay, pasta, this is for you. All right, 144,000. We've got a, a couple of places in the Bible where the 144,000 are mentioned by name. You can find it over in the book of Revelation, in both Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. So we'll go look there very quickly. Over in Revelation chapter 7, here's what it says about the 144,000. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. So there's the first reference that we have to the 144,000. And then in Revelation chapter 14, it speaks of the 144,000 standing with Jesus on Mount Sion with God's name written in their foreheads. Verse 4 says, they are not defiled with women, they are virgins, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God, to the Lamb in their mouth, no deceit, they are without fault before the throne of God. Now, here's what you got. You've got a group of people who are contrasted with those who receive the mark of the beast. These instead receive the seal of God. So they're around during Earth's last conflict. What you're going to find as you study deeper into this is that the 144,000 is that group of people alive on earth when Jesus comes and ready to go to heaven with him. Now, not the dead who will be raised. They might be saved, but they're not the 144,000. The living saints when Jesus returns, that's the 144,000. They've been through the crisis of the mark of the beast. They've come through spotless. God has given them uh, grace and strength and power, and they're ready to see Jesus come. Now, the question is, will you be among the 144,000? That's the question. Oh, here's another question. Someone asked me this in person the other day. They wanted to know if it's really only just 144,000, or could it be 244,000, or a million, or... Let me put that back to you. Yeah. 144,000, is it a literal number? When you look at the context of the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, you find a lot of symbolism surrounding the 144,000. It would seem strange if there was symbolism all around and yet the 144,000 was literal. Now, some people will say it is absolutely a literal number and there's just no other way of, of getting around it. Literal or figurative, we want to be in that number. The context seems to indicate it's a figurative number, symbolic number. Either way, we want to be in it. Yeah, there's a symbolic lamb. They're on a symbolic mountain. They don't really have a tattoo on their foreheads, symbols. But as Eric said, the key is to be in the 144,000. And if you're that worried about whether it's literal or symbolic, when Jesus comes back, you can say, just a moment, Jesus, and take a head count. And then when you've figured out exactly how many there are, you can go right on. So there you have it. Good question. We appreciate it. Another question is this. This is from Ray. I did something not pleasing to God, and the Holy Spirit warned me. I said no and did it anyway. I repented later. Will I have forgiveness with God? All right. What do we know from the Bible about forgiveness? 1 John 1.9 is probably one of the key texts about forgiveness. It says, if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are there any caveats attached to that verse? As long as we are confessing, 
as long as we have repented of it, he says, if you've done that, I will take care of it. God talks about blotting out sins. Their sins I will remember no more. In Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removes our transgressions from us. The Bible says that God delights to forgive. Read where the, Lord, where the Bible says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. Uh, again and again and again. You know why? You know why the Bible repeats this so frequently? It's because of this question and questions just like it. God, if he told us once, we'd never have believed him. If he told us twice, we may still never have believed him. But the Bible is filled with forgiveness from front to back. So then we can't escape the truth that God will forgive you. Now, Ray is saying this is made a little more complex because he was convicted and refused to yield to God when conviction came. Ray, are you listening? Ray, you are not alone. Apart from Eric and me, everyone else in the world has sinned after God told them not to. Okay, apart from Eric. <laughs> what you're talking about is very close to your heart because it, it would appear to me that you've done something that you're very sorry about and maybe it was a big one. But big or little, this is what people do. It's not to say they should, but it's what people do. What you've done, Ray, everyone has done. In fact, every time somebody goes into sin, it is in spite of God appealing to them not to go into sin. Every time, because the Spirit of God convicts people, you understand. So you feel this keenly and you feel badly, and well, you should. It's good to feel that way about sin, but you don't want this to beat you up. You don't want this to drag you down. Can you think of people in the Bible who sinned after God really told them not to? You've got David. Um, David had a, a wonderful opportunity to be blessed by God and was blessed by God, but he saw something that he desired and he knew full well that it was not something that he should have with Bathsheba. And then on top of that, after taking Bathsheba, which he shouldn't have done, then he took Bathsheba's husband and sent him to the front of the, the army to, to be destroyed, to be killed. Uh, so over and over again, David went the wrong direction. And yet we have every reason to believe that David's going to be in the kingdom. So. Read Psalm 51, David's Psalm of Repentance. And if you have any doubt about what God would do for you, read that and claim it as your own. You could think also of Peter, who made a real mess of things. Before the cock crows tonight, one of you will have denied me. Peter's like, oh no, not me, it never happened. And then he denies God. The, his conscience must have thrilled with conviction as the Holy Spirit was saying, no, Peter, come back. You don't have to do this. There's another way. And yet after that, Jesus was able to ask Peter to go and feed Jesus' sheep. He established him as a shepherd among the people of Israel. Ray, sin isn't good. Sounds like you messed up. Well, that's bad. However, God is good. Even when we sin, God is good. When you stifle conviction, God is good. Listen, one, one more thing. This doesn't make sin less sinful in any way, shape, or form. But it, the Bible does tell us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And God is willing and able to forgive you of any sin that you commit. This is Line Upon Line with Eric Flickinger. I am John Bradshaw. We welcome your questions. Here's what you do. Email us at lineuponline at iiw.org. It's just that simple. 
line up online at iiw.org and give us your question. Or if you'd like to write the good old-fashioned way, our address is still P.O. Box 6, Chattanooga, Tennessee, 37401. We'll do our best to give you a Bible answer for your Bible question. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be right back with more in just a moment. Have you ever wondered if you're good enough to be saved? It's a common question that has discouraged many people, but it doesn't have to discourage you. Taking a Stand is a powerful five-part series presented by Pastor John Bradshaw that will help you discover the assurance of salvation. Call 1-888-664-5573 to order the Taking a Stand DVD or download it from our web store at www.itiswritten.shop. Jesus offers salvation as a free gift to everyone, including you. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written, inviting you to join me for 500. Nine programs produced by It Is Written, taking you deep into the Reformation. This is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. We'll take you to Wittenberg, and to Belgium, to England, to Ireland, to Rome, to the Vatican City, and introduce you to the people who created the Reformation, who pushed the Reformation forward. We'll take you to sites all throughout Europe where the Reformers lived and in some cases died. We'll bring you back to the United States and take you to a little farm in upstate New York and show you how God spread the Reformation here. Don't miss 500. You can own the 500 series on DVD. Call us on 888-664-5573 or visit us online at itiswritten.shop. Thank you for remembering that It Is Written exists because of the kindness of people just like you. To support this international life-changing ministry, please call us now at 800-253-3000. You can send your tax-deductible gift to the address on your screen, or you can visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thank you for your prayers and for your financial support. Our number again is 800-253-3000. You could visit us online at itiswritten.com. Thanks for joining us today on Line Upon Line with Eric Flickinger. I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. On Line Upon Line, we answer your Bible questions. And we have a Bible question here from Susan who asks, if you've been married before and divorced because the partner was unfaithful, 
Can you get married again? Now, that's a sensitive question. We want to try to answer that with as much sensitivity as we can. We'll go to the Bible and read a little passage that deals with that, Susan. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. He said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus says that um, marriage after or marriage for any reason other than unfaithfulness is an appropriate remarriage. Does Jesus come straight out and say, it's okay to get married again? He doesn't. There's an implication yeah. there, uh, but he doesn't explicitly say that. But pretty strong implication. Yeah, because he says if there's other reasons that you're getting divorced, then absolutely not. But if it's for this reason, then it seems that there's permission given. Susan, if you're going through something like this, please allow me to commiserate. I'm sorry for the pain you've experienced and the difficulty you're going through. That's awkward and far too many marriages dissolve today and not always are the people caught up in that uh, willing participants. There are people who wish to hold their marriages together, but there are things taking place outside their control and they find themselves maybe where at least this question is coming from. So from a biblical point of view, if someone is divorced because there has been unfaithfulness in the marriage, and really I would uh, refer to the aggrieved partner or party here, it appears that the Bible okays being remarried in that circumstance. I, I would say this to really to anyone at all. If you're in a marriage relationship, you ought to be praying and asking God to keep you straight. Um, the breakup of a marriage is not a, a victimless thing. Whoever's involved is going to be hurt. If there are children involved, you may end up harming generations. Uh, divorce is a traumatic thing. The very best thing, really, is for a couple to reconcile. It's not always possible, but that's the best thing. If there's an opportunity to reconcile, if two people are willing to work towards that, then God can bless that and bring something really beautiful out of something that might otherwise have been very harmful and painful. Thank you, Susan, for your question. We've got another question here, this one from Elaine. And Elaine asks the question, what is the unpardonable sin and how is the Holy Spirit involved in that? Ooh, okay. We could probably take the rest of the program talking about the unpardonable sin. But let's read a little bit in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus says in verse 30, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. First, let's accentuate the really positive. Jesus said of himself, if you can sin it, God can forgive it. Any sin at all, he said, he will forgive. We cannot think of a single sin in the Bible that was committed but not for forgiven, at least in some instance. You've got murder that was forgiven. You have adultery that was forgiven. Uh, you've got a long list that, that just goes on and on of things that were forgiven if the person asked for the forgiveness. But if the person doesn't ask for forgiveness, then everything changes completely. Yeah, it sure does. So if every sin can be forgiven, how come there's an unpardonable sin? Eric, can you answer that for us? Well, if we don't confess the sin, if we don't forsake the sin, if we don't ask for forgiveness for the sin, how can God forgive it? You know, the Holy Spirit works on our hearts and he convicts us of sin. Uh, it's one of the, the main functions of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of our sin. 
where we find that our lives are not in line with God's will for our lives, not in line with His law, the Holy Spirit convicts us of that. But we don't always listen to the Holy Spirit when He convicts us. We can harden our hearts, we can push Him away, and the more that we push Him away, the easier it is to push Him away again. So if we've allowed our hearts to be hardened once when He convicts us, the next time it becomes easier and easier and easier, and the more frequently we do it, the harder it is to hear His voice and to ask for that forgiveness. The unpardonable sin, quite simply, is the sin that you don't repent. If you murder somebody, not that we'd advocate that, the Bible can forgive you. Many murderers in the Bible have been forgiven. Adultery can be forgiven. Um, 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 Speaking ill of God can be forgiven. Stealing can be forgiven. Any of that can, but if you're not asking God for forgiveness, and what that ultimately means is, if you are choosing the sin above God, if you're putting that first, God can't possibly forgive you. If he speaks to your heart and says, give this up, come to me, please surrender, and you say, not going to do that, and that continues and becomes the pattern of your life, and you choose that above God, then that becomes the unpardonable sin for you. Let's make it real simple. What's the unpardonable sin? Anything can be the unpardonable sin. If you refuse to surrender it to God, that can and maybe will become the unpardonable sin for you. Thank you. What's our next question? Next question comes from Wendell. And Wendell asks the question, what can you tell me about in-laws or relatives regarding married couples? What does the Bible say about what to do if the in-laws appear to be hindering the marriage? I'll let you deal with that. Why don't you answer that question? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Let's take a look at the Bible. We'll see if we can find some guidelines. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24 gives us a good place to start. When God was describing marriage, he gave some guidelines about how men and women, husbands and wives, should bring their lives together. Over in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and verse number 24, here is what we find. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Now, I I don't mind weighing in a little bit. I have the most wonderful in-laws in the world, at least the most wonderful in-laws I have ever had. And they are, they're fantastic people. So I don't, I can't relate to this meddling and and whatnot that uh, the question is speaking to. Um, But clearly, when you form a family, your first, your primary responsibility is now to your family, to your spouse and to your children. And I know there can be some interesting dynamics if you've got people who, who, who are unbalanced or don't think straight or are very selfish, can make your life really a trial. However, wouldn't you say first responsibility is to the nuclear family, first responsibility? Absolutely, absolutely. So husband and wife, children come first, then the larger family unit. But if we spend so much time looking at the larger family unit that we don't focus on the husband and wife, that marriage can dissolve very, very quickly. Amen. All right, another question here, and it seems like we're on a bit of a a theme here. This question's from Debbie. I am a believer. I have married a man, also a believer, that divorced his wife without biblical reason. I knew that even dating him was wrong. I was overwhelmed by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, as was he, and yet we both ignored the Spirit and now we are married. We're living in adultery according to Scripture, and I do not know if I should divorce him and remain single. Have we committed the unpardonable sin? 
All I want is the Lord back in my life and to serve Him. I've spent enough time serving myself. My heart is broken because I don't know what to do. We are not biblically married. Please advise and thank you. Okay, this is complex and there is a lot that we don't know about your situation. I'm going to assume that you've consummated the marriage. It's not that you got married and said, oh my goodness. If it was a recent thing like that and you came to what you describe as your senses, you might say, let us get this marriage annulled. There are certain traditions that allow for that. Maybe that would be a road to go down. But you know, there's an old saying, and that saying is that two wrongs don't make a right. So by divorcing now, after we don't know how long, it may just make things profoundly complicated. Are there children involved? I don't know. Where would you take this? Yeah, she's obviously convicted that there's something wrong. There's no question about that. And, and a conviction is, is right, and we should understand and listen to the Holy Spirit. But things have been brought together now, and we'll assume on what context we have for probably a while anyway. And things get complicated when you're trying to, dis- to dissolve things that have been together for a while. Um, there is forgiveness. Uh, we come to God and we say, Lord, we've, we've made some mistakes, we've messed up, but we're asking for forgiveness so that we can move forward in life. One thing you can know for sure is that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. This is not. I'm glad you mentioned what you mentioned because if you are convicted that you have done wrong, then go to God, tell Him we believe we've done wrong. Go together in repentance and confession to God. Pour out your hearts to God. What do you think God is going to do? He will forgive you. Again, because we don't know the intricacies and the idiosyncrasies of your situation, it's really hard to say, here's what you must do. But here's what you must do. Go to God in prayer and then follow what you believe to be his leading. Unpardonable sin? No. Will God forgive you? Yes. There's no question about that. Should you dissolve the union? Well, if you should, God would tell you to. But... You know, like I said, two wrongs don't always make a right, and you might just do more harm than good. Now, if you feel like your marriage is a sham, it's going to be hard for the two of you to be happy together anyway. There's going to be this constant conviction and perhaps self-condemnation. You don't want that. You really don't. So, go to God. Believe then that God forgives you. Is there ever any doubt that God forgives? As long as we confess. God will forgive you, there is no question. And then forgiven, purpose in your heart that you won't make similar mistakes again. Ask God to live his life in you so then with Christ in the very center of your life, uh, you know that you don't have to go back to making old mistakes. And look forward, look forward positively and happily. God is gracious. It would be an extreme case where God says you must um, rent asunder what was joined together with it by God or otherwise. We've been a little bit vague, and that's because we cannot be the voice of the Holy Spirit for you, and we don't know all of the situation. But this is not vague. God forgives. God is gracious. Go to God make things right, and then move on believing God accepts you. Amen. Very good. Well, thanks for that, and thanks for being here today. This has been a joy. Want to let you know how you can get your questions to us. Lineuponline at iiw.org. Email them to us. Lineuponline at iiw.org. Or write P.O. Box 6, Chattanooga, Tennessee, 37401. We would love to hear from you.
Until next time, with Eric Flickinger, I'm John Bradshaw from It Is Written. Thanks for joining us. God bless you.